In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today a Savior who was Messiah the Lord was born for you in the city of David. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the feeding trough. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. Now at this time when this happened, the shepherds, along with many in Israel, were waiting for the birth of the Messiah. To say it wasn't a surprise would be a mistake. It was still a surprise. But they were waiting. They were waiting. This was something they were expected. It was one who was promised all the way back in the Garden of Eden when God was telling the serpent you know, what would happen because of his part in making sin a reality in the world that God had made in perfection. Now, you know, the, the, some people wonder, you know, did, did God create evil? God didn't create evil, but you, you need to realize evil and sin was always a possibility when creation happened. If, if it were not a possibility, then obedience really wouldn't be obedience, would it? If the possibility of not obeying God, if the possibility of evil and sin was not there, then there really would, would be no choice and there would be no obedience, you see. So in creation, as God created everything good, the possibility of evil existed. Otherwise, there would not have been good. So when this happened, when this came, and when when this all unfolded, you know, what happened? And God gives, God moves through, and each are held personally responsible for their own choices, their own actions at that time. Adam, Eve, and the serpent. And to the serpent, to a part of what he said to him, he says, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This is what he was doing. He was giving the answer right there, you know, to remove sin again. That sin would be removed from that perfect creation that he had. And then as you continue to read through the Old Testament, you will see time each time a child was born. In fact, when Adam and Eve are told that they were going to have a son, uh, going to have a son and they had a son, and they would look and they would think, is this the one? Is this the one? And several times as you read throughout the Old Testament, you will see again where that expectation, is it the one who was fulfilling this verse here, this promise made all the way back in the garden? And then thousands of years after this was spoken, a virgin becomes pregnant. She was engaged to be married, and this impending marriage is in jeopardy until a messenger from God comes and intervenes and helps her fiancé to embrace the miracle of this very unexpected twist in their marriage plans. And they traveled together to Bethlehem at that point, uh, just a, a town that really was just a little town. 
and the place of this man's ancestry. And at this point, the town had been swelled because of the the, the, uh, edict that had gone down. And in this town now bursting with people compared to what it normally was, a child is born in a stable and placed in a manger. And God again sends messengers, this time to the shepherds, the passage we just read, and shepherds on a hillside who were making sure that the sheep entrusted to their care were safe. And as it was a time, you know, as it was night, and they would be on the alert because they wanted to, to, to make sure that wolves or other animals wouldn't, lions, and nothing would come in and, and attack these sheep. But at the same time, it was a little bit more laid back because it was night and the sheep would settle down a little bit more. And this angel comes and they're told the Savior, this Messiah, the anointed one, promised all the way back here in Genesis, you know, promised all the way back at this incident in the garden that this Messiah, this one they had been waiting for, had been born that night and they had the opportunity to meet him. Could you imagine the thoughts that were going through their mind. They were given the opportunity to meet this one that was promised all the way back in the garden. But how would they ever know they found the right child? Well, the messengers sent from God to us very clear, gave them some very clear directions on how they know that they indeed had found this child, this Messiah, the Christ. All they had to do was obey what they were told. This child was laying in a manger, a feeding trough for the animals. We sometimes think of the manger as the, 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 the building. It's not the building. That would have been a stable of some sort. The manger is, is the feeding trough for the animals, what the animals would eat out of. And here this child and this newborn child, think about that. This newborn child laid in this feeding trough. And here we are thousands of years now after that incident and the importance of finding Christ, the importance of finding the anointed one, the one sent to save his people. The importance of being sure we encounter him is just as urgent today as it was for these shepherds. Just as urgent as it was back when Adam and Eve heard the promise for deliverance in the garden. For over 25 years, I've been doing an Advent series on the Sundays between Thanksgiving and New Year's. And it's always been a series that has stood on its own. And we used to do banners, if you can think back to that before we had to screen. And we used to do banners. And every year I would try to hang up every banner we had. And we were beginning to look like the banner display shop sometimes for a while. But, uh, you know, we had... and and. You know, it's always been a series all its own. This year we're going to continue in 1 John. Because I think the focus that we see in 1 John here on the reality, the supremacy of our relationship with Christ fits very nicely with an Advent season. With a season in which we remember the birth of Christ. And the verses that we're going to look at today tell us how we can know we have encountered, that we have come to a relationship with this promised Savior of the world, Christ Jesus. Just as the shepherds were given directions on how they could find and how they would know that they had encountered this promised Messiah, that they had encountered the Christ, God gives us some direction 
in his word in First John here to help us understand that we too have encountered the Savior. Now we've gone this far, but let's pray and then we're going to turn to this passage in First John. Father, thank you for a time to be able to look into your word. Thank you for the promise, the fulfilled promise of the Messiah, of the Savior of the world. The fulfilled promise of this one, this seed, who would come and bring salvation to us. Open our minds a little bit more to you today, that as we are gathered, that as we, as we sit, as we look, as we listen to your word, as we interact, and as, we, as those thoughts come to our minds, as you bring those thoughts into, into play for each individual here to remind us, to help us to see, to help us to know, that we too have encountered the Christ. And Lord, if we find that perhaps a, um, well, that there's a lack in us, that there's a problem, that there's a struggle, that we might continue to follow and, and understand and obey not just your word, but what it means to have a relationship to you. So continue to teach and unfold your self to us, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2. If you'll turn there, we went all the way through verse 2. What was it, a couple of weeks ago? I've lost track to where we are. Did you preach last week? You did, didn't you? Yeah, thank you. That was good. Let's see how well I remember that. 1 John chapter 2, I'm going to begin in verse 3. As I was studying this, I thought it would be helpful to organize our thoughts around three claims. Each week as I'm studying the book of 1 John and, and I'm, I'm working on it and you know, it's happened every week as I've been working on this. I thought, I thought this was going to be a lot easier than this. <laughs> you know, I just thought First John was going to unfold um, a little bit easier for me than it has. But as I was looking at it, you know, if, if you look, you will see three different times uh, there's a phrase in, in the Holman Christian Standard. It's worded, the one who says. The one who says. You'll see it in, in verse 4. It says, the one who says, I know him. You'll see it again in verse 6. It says, the one who says that I remain in the light, that, or excuse me, that I am in him. And then the third one is in verse 9 where it says, you know, the one who says I am in the light. So we're going to organize our thoughts around those, those three phrases, those th- that, time, that, the, that three times that same phrase appears, and I think it will help us there. Begin, follow along with me. Verse 3. This is how we are sure that we have come to know him by keeping his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him, yet doesn't keep his commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love of God is perfected. This is how we know we are in him. Now we're going to pause there. So how can we know that we've encountered this Christ? How can we know we have a relationship with him? Well, it tells us right there that we speak and live the truth. That we speak and live the truth. Look at what it says in in verse 3. You know, how can we, this is how we are sure, you know, sure. That means, you know, to know in a sense of realizing without leaving any doubt. So how can, you know, this is how we can not have any doubt, is what it's saying. This is how we can not have any doubt that we have come to know him. This is how we can have doubt removed. This is how we can battle that doubt. This is how we can defeat when doubt comes into our life, how we can be reminded and remember that we have come to know him. And when he talks about knowing him, that we have come to know him, that word means it's, it's beyond understanding, you know, and agreeing with the facts. It involves a 
personal involvement with what is known. It's not just seeing and understanding the facts. It goes beyond that to a, a personal interaction, to a personal acquaintance, uh, to that, that, that personal time, if you will, that involvement with there. So to say that we have a relationship with God without consistently living like we have a relationship with God is what he's saying here. That to say we have that relationship without consistently living like we have a relationship, notice what he says, it simply proves that we are a liar. It simply proves that we are devoid of the truth, that the truth is not there. You can make all sorts of claims. You can claim anything, you know, but what is coming out in your living is what matters. I could claim to be a rocket scientist. I could claim to be a brain surgeon. Well, it wouldn't take that long to figure out on those two things that I'm neither one of those. You know, you can claim to be all sorts of things. It is easy to make a claim, but then is it proven, is it proved by your living? What is proved by your living? If when I married Ginny, you know, we did not have a big wedding. You know, we, we were planning a big wedding and then we changed our plans. Um, yeah, you know, we were planning a big wedding, and I don't, I don't even remember. What are we going to have? Five, six, seven attendants on each side. I remember I had to find some extra people because she had more friends than me. Surprising, isn't it? You shouldn't have laughed. Uh, but anyway, the uh, so we were going to have this big wedding, and then and then we didn't. You know, we had a, a small wedding, and we weren't even at that point that we didn't even plan a reception. My one of my sisters said. Not having a reception? No, we just we didn't. What we decided we were going to do is we decided we were going to buy a house instead of have a big wedding. So that's what we did. We bought a house instead of having a big wedding. Write that down because that's good advice. Buy a house, forget the big wedding. Okay? Sorry, too late. Um, <laughs> so when we got married, you know, that night instead of having a reception. If I would have gone out with some other, well, some other, I could say girl at this point, because Jenny was 17 when I married her, uh, you know, so if, if we would have, if I would have, you know, stood there and gone through the wedding ceremony and said everything I needed to say, but that evening gone out with some other woman, what would I have done? I would have proved that what I said earlier, that I was a liar. You can make all sorts of claims. But what is that living? What are you living out? What shows from your living? You know, is what you say consistent with what you do? Is, is what you do backing up what you're saying? The one who keeps God's word, it says. The one who lives in obedience to God. Now, not as a dreaded obligation. You know, not, it's not living for God as, oh, i got to do this because I'm a Christian. That's not what it is. For one thing, you know, learn a little bit. Take your advice on what you should do from God's word, first of all. Okay? First of all. There are a lot of things that, you know, that people could do as Christians that really have, that is really custom more than biblical. That doesn't mean it's wrong. Okay, get that right. It doesn't mean it's wrong. What it means is just because you're not doing some of the custom, that's okay. Are you doing what, what God's Word says? 
You know, that, that's, that should be what, what our determining factor is here, you know, on, on what God's word says. So it's not, we're not doing it, we're not living, you know, we're not keeping God's word as a dreaded obligation, but rather, you know, we, we're living in a way that we see the love of God perfected in us. Why? Because we're purposefully and diligently, consistently living, you know, what we know God says. That's what he's talking about. Verse five, whoever keeps his word, God, you know, whoever keeps his word, God's word, whoever is living God's word, whoever is living that out in his life, truly in him, it says the love of God is perfected, perfected speaks of a growing maturity, a growing maturity that you're getting better at this. You're getting better and better at this. (coughs) I was looking at uh, uh, it was another one of these uh, things people post about, um, uh, you know, if you promote, you, you need to promote uh, trades and things just as much as you do college. And, and I believe that, you know, I mean, I, when I, when I got out of high school, if you wanted to make money, you went into the trades, you didn't go to college. Now it almost seems to be reversed, at least in some thinking. Well, they had a spread there, and I always looked to see, you know, what they said, a welder is going to, what a welder makes, because, that was me, you know, I mean, that's where I was at. And it has a, had a spread, and I don't remember what the low end was, but there was, you know, the high end was double what the low end was. Well, what's the difference? The difference is that, you see, you can start as a welder, meaning that you can do some of it, but as you are perfected, as you grow in maturity in that, as you grow in knowledge in that, you see then, the, in a sense, the, the, the compensation increases Okay, so when he says here, when he says here, you know, in verse 5, whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is perfected. It's, it's not that we get paid more, but it is that we benefit more from it. Why? Because we realize more and more of what God says. We realize more and more what it means to be God's person. We realize more and more what it means to have the love of Christ. We realize more and more what it means to have the joy of Christ. We realize more and more what it means to live in a world that is not guided by Christ, but yet we are. And this is what he says that is perfected, you know, that it's that is perfected, this growing maturity. As God's people, as those who claim to have a relationship with God, we need to speak and live the truth. There needs to be a consistency. There needs to be a harmony between what you say and what you do, how you consistently live. This is what he's talking about, how you consistently live. It's not that you never sin. All right. So remember that. Don't let the enemy use that against you. You know that, well, I sin, I messed up. I must not be a Christian. That's why, you know, in, in, in the first John, what we looked at before, chapter one, verse nine, that, you know, when we sin, if we sin, you know, he, when we confess our sin to him, He's faithful and just, will forgive us our sin, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Remember, he is writing this letter to those who already have a relationship with Christ. He is writing to Christians. He says, Christian, when you mess up, here's what you can do. You can go to God, you confess. He's faithful, he's just, he will forgive us. That, that momentary lapse, if you will, doesn't mean you don't have a relationship with him. Now, a sign of maturity, you never use that as an excuse to sin. The fact that we can be forgiven, the fact that God forgives us, we do not use that as an excuse to sin. 
that is a part of that is a part of this you know being that this, that the love of god is perfected in us this is part of how we know we are in him how we know we are in him is because it changes how we know we are in him is because what we do is i am much different than the guy that married Ginny. One of the things I tell couples in premarital counseling, and just nod your head even if you don't remember this because it'll make it seem right. I tell them, you know, in five years, you're not going to be married to the same person that you are now. See, see I told them, no. Uh, I, and by that, I don't mean you're going to get divorced. What I mean is, is that you will grow and you will change as a person. To the point of where it's like, uh, almost like a totally different person. I can remember going through some of these struggles, you know, when I, when I became a Christian and knowing it, there was no doubt in my mind, some of these things needed to change in me. Some of the habits that I had. Now, you see, the difference is, the, the difference is, you know, I, I, I didn't know Christ, you know, growing up. Uh, I, I was religious. I didn't have a relationship with him, and there's a big difference there. And when I got to that place of having a relationship with him, just as my relationship with Jenny changed everything I do, my relationship to Christ changed everything I do, changed the person that I am. But, you know, some of those changes came about a little bit more slowly. Why? Because some habits die hard. Some habits die hard. Whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is perfected, is growing in maturity. This is how we know we are in him. We consistently, more consistently live for him. Follow along. Verse 6. There it is. There's that phrase again. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Dear friends, I am not writing to you a new command, but an old command that you have had from the beginning. The old command is the message that you have heard. Yet I am writing to you a new command, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So how can we know we have this relationship with Christ? How can we know that we are him? Because the old truth, we are living the old truth by following a new example. This is what he's telling us when he says it's not, a, it's not a new truth, yet it is a new truth. He's, he said, you know, we, we walk just as he walked. He says, we're walk, you know, we walk just as he walks. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. You know, that refers to us living, following the example of Jesus as he walked on this earth. That we are following the example of Jesus as he lived here. That we are, we, and here's a challenge for us, that we are treating people as Jesus treated people here's the challenge for us that we are serving people as jesus was serving people at the last at the last supper you know the, the time when which he is the, the, the last the last as you say the last big hurrah but there were some pretty cool things after the resurrection too but you know the last thing before his crucifixion and he's with his disciples you know and, and he is saying he gets up, he washes their feet, and, what, and he, then he sits down, he says, what are you supposed to, they, and they're a little confused, they're a little, you know, befuddled. <laughs> hey, this wasn't supposed to happen. And he says, you need to serve each other just as I served you. You know, I came, you know, I, I came not to be served, but to serve. You need to come to be served. So, you know, when, when he's talking about, when he's talking about that, we walk just as he walked, it's treating people as he did, it's serving people as he did. It's also encouraging 
serving, touching, caring as he did? Do we care like Jesus did? You know, do we do we do we serve? Do we do we do we touch people as he did? Yes, sometimes physically, but also touching them in in effect and of impacting them and impacting their lives. God's people now. God's people have always been called to live like God's people. That is nothing new. When He says, you know, that I'm not writing you a new command. It's nothing new that God's people were called to live as God's people. Then and he says, but I am writing something new. The new part is not, is not in living in obedience to God's law. That's not the new part. They were always called to live in obedience to what God says, you know, to live as God's people. But the new part is living as a result of our relationship with Christ Jesus. It's living our life as a result of our relationship with him. That what we are is because of who he is. This is more than obedience. This is a life transformed by a relationship with Christ. A life that is transformed, that, that brings in new values, that brings in new desires, that brings in new goals, that brings in new motivation. A life that is changed, transformed by our relationship with him. When the shepherds saw the infant Jesus, they came to realize that this was the Messiah they had been waiting for. Why? Because this is what, this is what God had told them. And they realized when they saw Jesus, when they encountered him, that this was the Messiah that they had been waiting for. And what are we told? We're told they left rejoicing. They left telling others about what they had been told by God. There was a change. There was a transformation. And they began telling people about what God had told them. They were living in faith in what God told them. They were living in faith in obedience to God. What had they seen? A child in a manger. They didn't see him heal anyone at that point. I think it would be kind of cool that these shepherds who saw Jesus as an infant, you know, that if they were still around 30 years later when he began his ministry, wouldn't it have been cool had they been at that wedding. Maybe they changed jobs and they were one of the servants who filled the water jug. And they brought this water jug and then... The servant comes and dips out wine. Or maybe they were, maybe they were just in the, in the crowd when they saw Jesus heal a leper. Maybe they were just swept up with the, with the group who, who came when they brought this woman caught in adultery before Jesus and they saw Jesus forgive this woman. How cool would that be? But at that point, all they saw was a baby in a manger. They hadn't seen him do a thing. They hadn't seen him do a thing except lay there and he probably squawked. He was a baby. And even if he didn't, that's all they saw. And what does it say they did? It says that they went out and they told people. They told people about him. They told people what God had told them. They were already living in faith in what God had told them. They were already living in obedience to God. Their life was beginning to be transformed. Live the old truth by following the new example. God's people were always called to obedience. We, we fight against obedience. I mean, we do. You know, we fight against, we want our freedom. We want our rights. 
You want a good example? Uh, this, wear, this whole wearing a mask thing, you know. You wear a mask if you ought to or not, you know. You're not flipping my switch at all. But I get a real kick out of people that wear a mask on their chin in the store. It's not covering their mouth or their nose, and I'm kind of thinking, why are you doing that? Or, you see, when I go to a store, and what, what I, I put a mask on. Why do I put a mask on? Because the, our, our governor asked us to wear masks, and it doesn't interfere with my relationship with Christ at all. He's not interfering with, you know, what God has asked me to do. In fact, God has asked me to obey our leaders when it, when it isn't a matter of, of going against his, his word and his faith. You know, but... I, I don't like wearing a mask, and some people don't, you know, and so so they they don't. We like to we 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 don't like to be told what to do. Okay, when I say we, some of you are thinking, oh yeah, tell me what to do. I'm I'm good with that. Yeah, some people are, you know, some people are good with being told what to do. I'm not one of them, and neither are some of you. We're just not. I'm just not one of them. You know, you know what I do when I see a sign that says, please don't touch. Okay, if it says please, I try to, I try to. But if it just, you know, if there's just a sign that says don't touch. You mean this? No, uh, you know, but, uh, um, the, uh, you know, and, and I've told you before, I think some traffic laws are arbitrary. But again, they're traffic laws. I should obey them a little bit harder than, a little bit more than I do. Um, we don't like obedience. You know, that's just one of those. We fight against it. We want our freedom. We want our rights. We obey God not to try to earn anything. You know, we, we obey God not to gain an understanding with God. We obey because God has transformed us and continues to transform us, our life, because of our relationship with him. We are transformed from this self-centered existence and motivation to a God-centered existence, to a God-centered motivation because of our relationship with him. What we say, you know, and what we do becomes more and more consistent with reflecting the character of Jesus. That if we say, just as it says, you know, in verse 6, the one who says that he remains in him should walk just as he walked and more and more. We do that. Verse 9, pick up with me. The one who says he is in the light but hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother remains in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in darkness, walks in the darkness, and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So you know you have a relationship with Christ here when you choose your light carefully. When you choose your light carefully, you won't like this, but you are following somebody. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. You are following somebody. You better, you better realize that. No, I'm doing my own thing. Well, that give you a little bit of hint who you're following. Uh, you think you're following yourself, but really your own thing you just picked up from other people's things. And so you're really following someone else. I don't hate to burst your little bubble, except I really don't hate it. I kind of like to do that. That's what I'm... One of the things God's put in me, maybe, maybe not. Uh, anyway, 
John continues here to use this contrast between light and darkness, between good and evil, and he's using a contrast. You see that in the Gospel of John. He carries it over here into this epistle, into this letter. And being in light or in darkness, it's shown by how we live. It's shown by how we live out our life toward others here he's talking about, particularly those who have a relationship with Christ. Notice what he says. The one who says he's in the light, but what? Hates his brother. Here he's talking, he's using that term. He's using that term as, as how we react to others who are in a relationship with Christ. And this is what he's talking about here. And being in the light, being in the light is, is, is living in constant connection and cooperation with Christ. That's what being in the light is. It, again, this is, it's something he, he's used before. Matthew chapter 6, verse 23. He says, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness you see if your eye is bad your whole body will be full of darkness so if the light within you is darkness how deep is that darkness what he's saying is if the light if, if what you think is the way to go if what you think is the way to go is not is 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 not from god here's what he's talking about really but yet you think that you're following you think that you're following god how deep is that darkness if you think if you think that you know up is is uh, really down or down is really up they say when you and i hope i never get into this situation they say that when you are plunged into into uh, deep water you know your car goes over the side and you have to get out or something like that that you really lose all sense of orientation as to which way is up and which way is down. And that you think, well, don't you just float? Well, no, you, you don't just float. You're under the water and you're struggling, you see. And, and they say you lose all orientation. And some people, unfortunately, go down instead of up, and that's why they die. If you think that that light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? This is easy to see in false religions, in those people who reject Christ. And they think that that light within them is a true light, but it's really darkness. That they're following man instead of God, that they're, that they're ignoring who God is, that they are rejecting Jesus. How deep is that darkness? Luke chapter 11, it says, See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. See and understand that what you're doing is actually following God as he says, that it's not that you're following something else, but that you're following him. You know, he, he talks about, you know, that hate and love, you know, if, hate, what is he? In the Bible, hate and love are not used primarily as emotions, but they are expressing attitudes, they are expressing, they are expressing actions. When you hate something, you know, when you hate, then you give control over to hate, and the hate is what controls you. You say, no, it isn't. Yes, it is. I hate hot dogs. They're less than worthless, in my opinion. I hate hot dogs. They're disgusting. The ones that are worse are to plump when you cook them. Boil a hot dog sometime and look at the water. Oh, my goodness. If that doesn't bring you over into the light i don't know what i don't know what else you need hot dogs were not invented by god they're disgusting they're horrible i don't even like the smell of hot dogs on occasion my wife has let her grandmotherly instincts overrule her wifely duties 
and has cooked hot dogs for my grandchildren in the microwave. What the microwave does then is disperses this obnoxious odor throughout the house. I actually just realized why she does it. She wants me to go out of the house. I probably have said something. Next time, just tell me you offended me. And she's trying to drive me out of the house. My hatred for hot dogs controls my actions. I don't eat them. I don't even want to be around them. You can go to Coney Island all you want. It's, 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 I was going to say barf in a box, but that would offend some of you, and I don't want to do that. It's disgusting. I, would, I wouldn't go there. I cross the street so I don't even walk on the same side in front of it so that if somebody opens the door, I don't have to smell it. It controls, my hatred for hot dogs controls my actions. You better believe that these things, you know, when he's talking about loving and hating, that it controls your actions. We are told to hate, to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. In Romans, love must be sincere. That means without hypocrisy. Love must be without play acting. That's, that's what the word was used for, describing you know, an actor in a play. Love must be without, without this play acting. Then he says, hate what is evil. Let your attitude toward evil control those actions towards evil. Cling to what is good. Cling. Be adhered to. Make it as, almost as if it's a part of you that you cling to, as if you're growing together, that you cling, you cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. In love, be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. A battle for you that you will struggle with is when you don't hate evil. Again, we're not talking about emotions. What, what the Bible's talking about here is, is, is an attitude that is expressed in action. If your attitude toward evil is not that it is evil, if your attitude toward, if your attitude toward evil is that it's not really that bad, if your attitude towards evil is, hey, this could be fun. Scripture talks about the pleasure of sin lasts but just a moment. Did you catch that? The pleasure of sin. It's not saying that some sin isn't pleasurable. Some of it is. But what it appeals to is the wrong thing. So when he's talking here, you know, and he says that we hate what is evil, you cling to what is good. If you don't hate evil, you, you know, you will struggle with it when you don't think that it isn't that bad. And then you will try a little of it. And what it will do is that it will eat away at you. And you will try a little more, and a little more, and a little more, and it will destroy you. It will destroy you. You know, unless you begin to see for evil, evil, you know, for the destruction that it causes, and you choose to live in hatred toward evil, an attitude that is expressed in action.
an attitude that is expressed in action. You know, what, what we say and what we do are, can, when, when, you know, what we say, what we do, and it's consistently in line, you know, with someone who has a real life-changing relationship with God. What we say and what we do are in line that, you know, when we have that real consistent life-changing relationship with God. Look what he's telling us here. You know, people who say they know God, people who say they have and, and claim to have a relationship with God, you know, they, they should, they should do life. They should have consistent evidence in their life. They could, should have consistent evidence of that relationship in their everyday life. Look what he says. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commands is a liar. Whoever says, I remain in him, ought to walk as Jesus did. Whoever says, I'm in the light, but hates his brother is actually in darkness. Right beliefs that do not result in right living is an untrue faith. It is dangerous. It is fatal if not corrected. Say and do. Speak and live your relationship with Christ. Speak about your relationship. When the shepherds saw this infant, when the shepherds encountered this infant in a manger who didn't do anything except fulfill what they had been told by the messenger from God, their lives were changed and transformed and they left that place and told others about what God had told them and told others about this child. A life that is changed and transformed. Right beliefs that do not result in right living is an untrue faith, and it's fatal if not corrected. Say and do, speak and live your relationship with Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your forgiveness that comes to us and cleanses us and repeatedly then when we wander from you and Lord as we're gathered here we can all think of times even after we've come in that relationship with you when we have not when we have not lived that relationship we say we have and I thank you for those times in which you have pointed that out to us in which you have poked that wound and said this isn't good this isn't right and I thank you that the forgiveness that is ours again Josh is drawn back to what is in the beginning of this letter that when we come when we confess you're faithful you you will forgive us our sin you will cleanse us from all unrighteousness not because we deserve it but because you are God so as we are gathered here today and we have heard this, Father, I pray that you would not let the enemy uh, beat people up about what they have, what your word tells us, but that they would begin to see perhaps maybe some areas in which we have been, in which we have been dabbling in darkness and we shouldn't. Give us that hatred for evil, an attitude that directs our actions away from evil. And help us to love, help us to cling to what is good, which is what's in line with you, which is living as Jesus did. That old truth 
of what it means to be God's people. Lived in a new way as you transform us more and more into the likeness of Christ. Guide us toward that. For your glory and honor we pray in Christ's name. Amen.